You are listening to WQED's Voice of the Arts podcast. I'm Emily Bruner, and today we have Executive Director of Catapult of Greater Pittsburgh, Tammy Thompson. Hi, Tammy. Welcome. Hi. How are you? Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for sticking with us with this uh, technical difficulties. Um, So tell us a little bit about your nonprofit organization. What is Catapult Greater Pittsburgh, and how did it become to what it is today? Yeah, so it's been a long journey. Uh, I will say that it probably has become what it is today, just based on my own personal story, uh, working to escape generational poverty. Um, A lot of the uh, experiences that I have had in poverty, from homelessness to food insecurity uh, to raising children uh, as a single parent in poverty, have sort of led me to this organization and this work and just trying to help people overcome some of the challenges that I had to overcome alone. Uh, I wanted to make sure that people had a support system, that people had guidance uh, to assist them on their journey out of poverty and into economic security. Mm-hmm. So a lot of a lot of programs to help kind of with the poverty and generational wealth, right? Yeah, all of our programs at the core are, first of all, focused on helping people sort of overcome poverty trauma and even Mm -hmm. understanding uh, how long-term exposure to poverty has impacted them as a full human uh, beyond the financial implications of poverty. So uh, I think it's been really important for me over the years as I've been working on my own healing to really understand how those experiences and how that exposure to long-term generational poverty impacted me as a, as, as a child and even into adulthood. So um, it, it's been really interesting to learn those things about myself and sort of implement them in program development and trying to think about what have we not done as a society as we're addressing issues of poverty. I think Uh, the initial instinct is to focus on the economic and financial aspect of poverty, but it's just so much bigger than that. Uh, And what we've learned in our work at Catapult is that if we focus on both the emotional, psychological, and spiritual piece of poverty, that folks have a lot more understanding and Um, it really helps in helping people address how they make decisions uh, around economic and financial principles. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that seems like a very holistic approach in terms of trying to get to the root cause of a problem, but also helping um, the people that are involved in the problem. Um, What sort of uh, programs does Catapult offer to the community to address all that? So we have programs that start all the way uh, at the beginning from people being in extreme need, uh, people needing to get their most basic needs met around housing support. Uh, Around the pandemic, we started this program called Basics that really was just helping people address those basic needs that a lot of families struggle to to meet food, transportation, shelter, uh, the things that people need, not just to survive, but to even begin the path to thriving. And um, our core programming, which is focused on helping families build assets and building wealth through assets, uh, starts with first-time homeownership mm-hmm. as well as first-time entrepreneurship, because we really believe that 
the key and the core to reaching full economic security is ownership. People have to have assets. Uh, assets are the key to escaping poverty. Uh, and although it's tempting uh, for people to say, well, people would just learn how to save and budget. And, you know, yeah, all those things are really important, but you cannot save budget or financial education people out of poverty. Mm -hmm. uh, the reality is that you have to uh, make sure that people are equipped to uh, gain access to um, wages, wages that are life-sustaining, mm -hmm. uh, and then focus on the importance of ownership and owning a home and owning a business and owning something that can be transferred mm -hmm. to the next generation to disrupt the cycle of generational poverty. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So almost like um, you start with the triage, you start like, okay, immediate help now, um, almost like a food bank, let's get you what you need now. And then you start focusing on, okay, now that we've gotten you to a point where you're semi-okay, let's continue and make sure that you stay okay. Yes, that's super important because it's, and I get it. A lot of people, if you're, if you've been blessed and lucky, you haven't had a firsthand understanding or experience with poverty. God bless you. But for those that have, uh, I just think it's really important for people to understand that it is next to impossible to think about your future, to think about what is possible for you if you are in crisis, mm -hmm. if you are trying to figure out housing, if you're trying to figure out how to put food on the table, if you're trying to figure out how to make the best with what you have and getting your most basic needs met, you cannot think about what's happening down the road. And that is a recipe for the continuation of generational poverty. So helping people stabilize, helping people get to a place where they have the mental and emotional bandwidth to think about what comes next. Uh, that is just really, really important. And it's something that I believe that if you haven't experienced poverty firsthand, you might skip that step. Hmm. So uh, at Catapult Greater Pittsburgh, we just happen not only to have a founder and executive director who have experienced poverty both as a child and into adulthood, but our staff have, uh, many of our staff have these same experiences. So there's just something to having people who have experienced these things firsthand, not only helping to develop uh, programming, but helping to implement programming uh, with that lens is just super important. Mm-hmm. That is super important. And you talked about kind of developing uh, assets um, as they progress in trying to build generational wealth. And you said kind of entrepreneurial and real estate. Um, and I'm curious, like, what uh, assets besides like home building and like um, stuff like that do you kind of like try to figure out with them in terms of building assets? Well, I think even thinking about things that we don't consider to be assets, mm. uh, about life insurance, thinking mm. about estate planning, if you own a home, thinking about how to manage the assets once you attain them is just as important. Uh, so, you know, we thought about the two uh, asset building um, principles or, or formulas that have helped contribute to generational wealth over time. And the two most popular are homes, buying a home, owning a home, and being able to transfer that home to the next generation 
as well as a business and helping mm-hmm. people learn that we all have uh, organic skills and talents that can be honed into a business, even if it's just a small business that is bringing in enough income to send a kid to summer camp, mm-hmm. to make it so that you don't have to work a second job. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it's just a second of uh, a, a hobby or something that can be turned into extra income to help supplement your full-time employment. Those types of businesses are extremely important and they're very popular right now. Mm. Um, It's been people have been working these quote-unquote side hustles for generations and not even thinking that they're a business, but they have been the thing that brings that extra income into the household that allows for the little extras or allows to increase saving or to reduce the amount of work hours required outside of the home, mm. uh, which is something that I think we don't talk about enough when we're trying to figure out, well, what is happening? You know, people, old, old folks like me who are like, what is happening with our children? <laughs> well, some of what's happening is that both parents are working outside the home. There, there's a need for multiple people in the house to have an income and we're not having the luxury of being able to spend as much time and attention with our children and what we have found by having 95 percent of the participants in our entrepreneurship programs being single mothers that having that extra income allows for them to not have to go out and work a second full-time or second job Mm -hmm. and that so valuable and, and so important to the growth and, and health and of our children to be able to take, you know, if I, if I make, I found out that I'm a great bunk cake maker, right? I make the best pound cake in the family. And if I can make bunk cakes and sell cakes or sell cookies or whatever my talent is, uh, that allows me to bring in that extra income without me having to spend too much time outside the home. I think that's a great thing for not just these families, but for our communities overall. That is a wonderful thing. And 95%. Wow. That is amazing. Um, yes. <laughs> wow. Um, what kind of businesses do they like try to start up? Like you've mentioned like baking, what else have they like figured out? Yeah. So we have decided, we decided early on, we're about six years into our uh, Start Up the Storefront program. Mm -hmm. Uh, We decided early on that we would focus primarily on helping folks who had product-based businesses, products Mm -hmm. that could go into a storefront, products that could have an e-commerce presence, products in which there is not necessarily a requirement to have a lot of overhead in order to develop and sell these products. So we have candle makers, we have uh, t-shirt makers, we have a gentleman who makes handcrafted bow ties. Uh, We have youth entrepreneurs who are selling uh, dog clothes and lip glosses and Uh, a woman that makes purses. We just have so many makers, so many people with the raw organic talents um, that have the ability to turn into revenue generating businesses. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that's what's really, really cool is uh, a lot of these businesses are startups that are, are being funded by the income from employment. Right. Mm. They're not the type of businesses where they have to go out and take on a bunch of debt 
to get started. Uh, and, and in addition to the support that we provide by giving, um, you know, free or low cost storefront space and retail space, it gives them an opportunity to practice and test out the market, which products work, which ones don't, without having to worry about costly uh, commercial rent and, and overhead in that way. Hmm. So I think what we're also giving people is we're giving people an opportunity to try, an opportunity to experiment, which is what entrepreneurship is all about, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, many of the businesses that we serve do not have the luxury of experimentation and failure, which is so important for entrepreneurship. So we think what we're giving these businesses by subsidizing experimentation um, is something that they would not have otherwise had the opportunity to do, which is all I want to do is give people a chance to try things that they don't have the luxury to experiment with. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's a valuable that's a valuable thing to have, because especially if you have this dream or this idea or this passion and you're like, I really want to do this, but it can't fail. Um, because I have to make money from this, then that's a whole different mindset than versus, you know, oh, okay, let's try it and see what happens. Absolutely. And that's just really, that is the, the, the key to entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. I think any successful entrepreneur will admit, uh, if they're honest, that they had to fail a few times to get successful. They Mm -hmm. had to fail a few times to figure out in which direction they should go. And and the reality is that a lot of the entrepreneurs, and we are working with predominantly black, single women, working full-time jobs uh, that just do not have the luxury of failure. And, and we want to give them the luxury of failure. We want to give people uh, that space to uh, try new things, to experiment, to test the market uh, in a safe in a safe way. And I think that's what we've been able to do over the last six years now. Mm-hmm. Six years. That's uh, that's a pretty impressive and in a long time. And um, one of the things I wanted to ask was how has the pandemic changed anything about your approach to generational wealth? <laughs> uh, the pandemic changed everything. It didn't change really the core offerings, but mm-hmm. it changed how we offer them, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So prior to the pandemic, everything we did was in person. Everything, you know, required somebody to make a commitment to transport themselves to the space where we were offering these uh, educational opportunities. And uh, two weeks after the pandemic really got started, I'll never forget March 13, 2020 is when I think we all were like, oh, this thing is serious, right? This is when many of us got sent home from work and shut our doors and had to shut our businesses down. Uh, And we made a decision that we were not going to pause any of our programming uh, for one reason. We didn't want people to lose the momentum that they had been making. Mm. Uh, And so we decided right away to figure out how to get our programming on a virtual platform. So we never missed one workshop session. We never missed a counseling session. We didn't miss a beat um, because we just knew how important it was that people maintained that momentum that they had been, uh, uh, you know, building up to. And uh, what actually happened for us is we had an increase in participation as a result of the pandemic (laughs) because we learned is that providing these workshops, these seminars, these counseling sessions virtually 
created more opportunity for people to attend. They didn't have to worry about childcare. Mm-hmm. They didn't have to worry about transportation. Um, they, you know, they, there's so many things that just opened up. They didn't have to worry about travel time from work to the sessions, right? And so it just made it so much more convenient for people. Uh, so much so that we increased our partition our participation in that year uh, by up to five hundred percent. Oh wow! So yeah, so that just really so what the pandemic did was of all the horrible things that it did, uh, the good things were it showed us. Uh, I think as a society, it showed us that everything doesn't have to be in person, Mm -hmm. that we can get a lot accomplished uh, virtually, that we can use the technology that's out there to to expand our offerings, to reach a larger group of people, and to serve people in a more convenient way. So the pandemic really opened up our programming, and I think we've seen more people in the last few years than in the, the, the entire inception of our programming. Wow. So I do think that COVID was beneficial uh, in, in that way. And in a lot of ways, people who had been working uh, probably harder, but not necessarily smarter, found out that, wait a minute, I don't have to do it this way. I can do it that way. Um, and I think it's why we've seen the most growth in entrepreneurship uh, in our nation's history over the last three years. Mm. Mm, that's amazing. That's incredible. And and what a wonderful turnout from something that was kind of horrible. So, yeah, good. <laughs> yeah. That was the bright light of, of COVID. And I don't know if I could name very many others, but that, <laughs> but that was definitely a bright light. Good, good. Um, and... The reason why we are talking on this Voice of the Arts podcast is because uh, you and Catapult have recently been awarded a Community Champion of 2023 by WQED and Giant Eagle uh, due to your commitment, passion, and leadership in improving the lives of individuals and our community. How does it feel to be a Community Champion? Well, it was really, it was really cool. Uh, two organizations that I really respect tremendously, WQED. Uh, I've been a lifelong fan of WQED. Uh, and Giant Eagle, who I've had the pleasure of working with both from the nonprofit perspective at Catapult and uh, as a consultant uh, with my consulting business. And just the amount of... Um, just the impact that both organizations have made across this region. Um, it, it was really an honor to to be acknowledged in that way by two uh, orgs that I just really, really appreciate and respect. Uh, I love the people at Giant Eagle. I think a lot of folks just don't know how invested that family is and doing everything they can to be not just a major retailer, but to be a good community uh, neighbor um, is just, uh, so yeah, it felt right. It felt like, yep, these are my people. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, we were really appreciative of, of being acknowledged by them in that way. And uh, just, yeah, super honored. Oh, well, we are so glad that we were able to honor you. I mean, your organization um, is incredible. Um, and has helped so many people in the Pittsburgh area um, for six years and will continue to in the next yes. coming years. Thank you for that. We, we really um, we really feel uh, a deep connection to this 
um, city, to this county, to this region. Uh, and we're looking forward to doing more. We're, we're looking forward to doing more. And honestly, we're looking forward to doing so much more that at some point we will become obsolete. Uh, that's the goal is that pretty soon we won't be needed. <laughs> <laughs> Working ourselves out of a job is what we aspire to every single day. Mm-hmm. And that's a that's a wonderful goal to attain to. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, Tammy, congrats on your award and your continued service with Catapult, and thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you so much. Thank you for uh, highlighting the work and being committed um, to raising awareness about why these types of organizations are needed in the first place. Thank you.